You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Hey, I'm Johnny. I use he, him pronouns, like I said. We're going to start with reading some scripture. And we're in the Psalms tonight. Um, it's just a short psalm, so we need two different volunteers to read it. Raise your hands. You're going to talk into the microphone so the people on Zoom can hear you and so that we can hear you too. Um, We just need two volunteers to read the first and then the second part. They're in different colors, so you know. But if you can't see the colors for some reason, they're like also two different paragraphs, I think. Or two different stanzas, I think, is the term. Any volunteers? Appreciate it, Julius. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. When our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy, then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we rejoiced. One more in the room or in the Zoom room. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, let the words of our mouths and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This psalm can be summarized as joy remembered and joy anticipated. The writer is remembering a time when restoration happened and then praying for restoration after. It's the seventh of the Songs of Ascent, which is in the fifth book of Psalms. And it remembers when Israel's fortune were restored and it anticipates when they'll be restored again. It's a psalm that is a prayer for liberation now. Probably this liberation and restoration has yet to come. So the psalmist is praying for restoration. Praying for liberation and remembering when it happened. Probably they're remembering the deliverance from Exodus, in Exodus from the Egyptians, right? That's the story that sustains this people. And also probably this was written during Babylonian captivity. So they're hoping for liberation now. We can enter into this psalm remembering when we've been liberated, when we've been restored, and then also being present to where we are still held in captivity and where we need to be liberated. For Israel, under captivity, this is a prayer to take the country from bankruptcy to prosperity. We get to experience this sort of restoration that we're talking about here in Philadelphia all the time. And and probably in whatever city you are too. 
we see, like St. Laurentius right here in Fishtown is a good example of this. There's only scaffolding on this building. They're trying to restore it. And if you go downtown, you'll see a lot of historic buildings that need, that need to be uh, restored. And there's something about restoring something old that's more challenging yet more beautiful than just building something new. There's something about that, you know, and, and we care about these buildings. We care about the stories they hold. And we get to see these buildings restored to their former glory. And there's something romantic about storing something that used to be beautiful back to its original glory. These buildings have stories within them. And when we restore them, we preserve the story. The restorers tell the story again. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? I have spent some time, more time than usual, <laughs> I've spent more time than usual. <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm laughing, I'm gonna to try to regain composure. I've spent more time than usual in Philadelphia's parks over the last two years. You know, and this is a big change for me after being known for working in like a windowless office for eight years. I used to have this tiny office with no windows and all my friends would comment about it and I didn't understand why they were so disturbed by it because I felt fine, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm outside a little bit more now and I like it, you know, so, you know, 36 going on 37 years in this prison of a soul, I, I finally am learning that the outside is okay too. And one of the parks I like a lot is Franklin Square. You know, you might know this in Philadelphia, you have City Hall and then to each of the four corners around it, there's Washington Square, Rittenhouse Square, Franklin Square, and Logan Circle, right? Those are the parks there. And they all have a different kind of vibe to them. And Franklin Square's in a, in a difficult spot, right? Because there's the bridge right there, there's highways. It's hard to get to sometimes. And it wasn't always as cool as it is now. My best friend, who knows a lot about Philadelphia history, told me, she said, they used to call it Rat Park. Which is not, that is not a uh, metaphor. It was infested with rodents. But things changed and the park was restored. I think I have. There it is. It was restored and there's a fountain in that park. It was originally built in 1838 after the city council passed some resolution for calling uh, for a fountain of grand dimensions. And it was the centerpiece of the square until the late 19th century. And now it's refurbished and restored and it's the oldest functioning public water fountain in the United States. And it's the longest surviving fountain of any of the original William Penn's five squares. City Hall is one of them too. So 2006, it was restored like this, pretty cool. That's the kind of restoration, bringing something back, remembering the story, making it even better, right? That's, to me, what connects me to this psalm, asking for restoration. The buildings might be restored, but they aren't the same as they were. Maybe they're close, but you know, invariably they rely on new material and new technology to restore them. There's no going back. There's only going forward. 
And I think we just need to keep that in mind. What, in, in this pandemic, there's no going back to before the coronavirus, right? There's no going back to before George Floyd was killed. There's no going back. You can't. We just can only go forward. We can remember the past and when we've been liberated and then use that as an opportunity for present liberation, but we can't go back. And that goes for so much more than buildings, right? And it goes for our relationships, our marriage, right? Our church. We can't go back to our former self. You either decide to grow and you, to, you either decide to grow and change or you decay. And if you just cruise, you'll get pulled by different forces, right? You have to keep fighting white supremacy or else it'll take you. You have to keep fighting ableism or else it'll take you. You have to keep fighting patriarchy or it'll take you. And these are big societal things, but you have to keep relating and loving and connecting to keep your relationships going. They don't stop. We were just singing Amazing Grace. And the grace is sweet on the first day you receive it, and then 10,000 years later, it still is. Right? You keep, you keep worshiping, you keep relating, you keep showing up here to worship, to connect. You keep it going, you keep taking the body and the blood. You keep moving forward. When we think about the grace of God given to us, it is a gift, but we keep receiving it. It isn't just once and done. We keep receiving the grace. We keep, work, we keep working to relate to God, knowing what's been done to us. And it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that in different seasons. It could have been easier in your 20s, maybe in your 30s, maybe in your 40s, but you have to keep adapting, keep changing, keep growing. Everything's different. Your faith looks different when you're an adolescent. It looks different when you're in your 20s. It looks different if you have, get married, you have children, whatever, you know. Things get stressful. There's mortgage payments. You have payments on outdoor furniture, perhaps. Lots of, lots of things that could happen to you that, that can occupy you, you know. How do you keep doing it? How do you keep following? The key to restoration is learning how to grow and change and adapt. And in the middle of a deadly pandemic, a deadly and destructive and mass disabling pandemic, right? A million people in the United States have died and, and, and so many have been disabled permanently. We have to imagine who we are now as individuals, as a society, and as a church. We can't go back to the time before COVID, as I said. For one reason, COVID isn't going away. And for another, we were ignorant. Okay, let me give you two articles about this. April 2017. Trump has set the U.S. to botch a global health crisis. Okay, that's kind of um, foreboding. February 2018, Trump versus Disease X, same problem. 
there's going to be a major botch of a, of a pandemic, of a response to a pandemic. Don't go back to that. Don't go back to when you didn't learn. You, you didn't have the lessons learned, right? Use your present suffering to go forward. Don't go back. Going back means going back to that level of ignorance. We know more now and are more prepared and hopefully won't suffer as deadly of a pandemic if and when we get struck by another one. And I pray that we're more aware of disabled people and we let our see, see ourselves as temporary able-bodied people or, uh, my friend says, pre-disabled people. Similarly, for our church, there's no going back to what was. We are much more conscious now than we were then. If you just want to restore what was, that's a step in the wrong direction. When you're revitalizing Frank, Franklin Square, you're wondering, well, what happened? How did it fall apart? Why did the community ignore this? What was going on? And then you restore it, and then you try to solve the problems that led to it. You don't go back to when those problems were still here, or else it'll happen again. It'll become Rat Park again. As a church, we're more conscious now than we were a couple of years ago. We're more LGBT inclusive. We're more anti-racist. We're more conscious of the disabled. And we want to keep moving in that direction. Restoration alone isn't good enough, right? We want something to change. We want a revolution. And yeah, we can understand the romance of wanting things to go back to where they were. There is that nostalgia. And you can hold on to that memory. You know, you remember Passover, you remember being delivered from Egypt, but you don't want to go back to be enslaved in Egypt. And I don't think that's the spirit that the psalm is written in. Israel wants to be restored back to God, back to its home. But I don't think it wants to regress to where it was even before it had a home. It longs for liberation, for hope, for a Messiah. They long to be dreamers, to shout for joy, to be de- for their deserts to be watered, for their tears to turn to joy, for their weeping to have some to water the seeds so that something can grow. And praying for renewal, for liberation. They're depleted and they want to be restored. They're depleted and they want to be restored. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound what it feels like to endure this pandemic? And all that came with it. May we be awakened to the oppression that many feel as we consider how we were oppressed during the pandemic. Because some people just live like that. For many people, captivity isn't something that occurs just in a global pandemic. It's how they live their life. We were just watching this documentary called Unrest. It came out in in 2017, 2018, something like that. Well before the pandemic. And there are these people, mainly women, 85% of the people that suffer from chronic fatigue syndrome are women. And their life changes. Their life and life around them goes on and they're stuck somewhere. 
sometimes they're taken from their parents because they think that this is something that uh, their parents brought to them. And we have people among us that suffer from that. And in many ways during the pandemic when we were all isolated, we could relate to what it's like to live with this condition. But these people just feel it all the time. Consciousness about that's important. Even as things, some things are restored, we're now conscious of this and we want to be, even as a church. So there are people, you know, this is one of the reasons why we even have, we care about broadcasting this on Zoom. It isn't just for people that are uncomfortable because of, you know, the new Omicron variant. It's also because there are people that can't make it anyway. We care about them. Our temporary oppression during the pandemic made us conscious of how others feel all the time. And beyond people that suffer from this condition, for many marginalized people, they long for restoration and liberation all the time. And they trust that God will because God has, and they long for present liberation. So Passover is a reminder of God's faithfulness. Communion tonight is a reminder of God's righteousness. And present liberation is a sign that God is with us now. And the hope for future liberation is a sign of God's faithfulness again. We want to be a church that's both a place for remembering the good of the past. As we forge forward and try to come up with a new way as a body, we are not discarding the good that came before us. Just because we long for good things in the future. We're taking what we can and moving into something next. As we change and grow, let's hold on to the good of the past. And let us also know that our change will cause a lot of present anxiety and difficulty. It's hard to renovate our own rat park. It's easier to let it go. It's hard to imagine resurrection and restoration. It's hard to do that. It's not easier to, it's, it's, it's easier not to believe. It's easier not to have hope. It's easier to fall to despair. It's easier to be cynical. It's not more practical to do that. It is easier. And not having faith costs you nothing. It costs a lot to have it. It costs a lot to have faith. But to succumb to despair and cynicism, that's just what happens to us. Because the world is so messed up. And there's so much pain. And I understand if that's where you are and you can't hold on to hope. I hope that we can, I hope that even a meeting like this gives you a little bit. It's easier not to believe. And all decent empirical data, folks, suggests we shouldn't believe at all. Now, I know there's some studies out there about the afterlife and the metaphysical and so on that might move you to consider it, but hanging your whole hat on, on empirical data, your whole hat on faith on empirical data seems contradictory to me. But there are enough little hooks for you if you need to get in a little bit. You can find those. Oh, no. I lost the section that I want to talk to you about. So let me see if I can add a little bit. All right. So the other day, a person on Twitter um, asked this question, something like, if, if, if you as a Christian learned that 
you got indisputable evidence that the resurrection was real, how would it change your, how would it change your uh, life? And I thought, oh, I already have indisputable evidence that the resurrection isn't real. Every single piece of data suggests that this act was impossible. It isn't my, my assurance that it happened that is why I believe. It's that I believe despite that. It's not a rational belief. I already am faced with what is rational in the world, and I'm choosing to believe something else. I have to, we have to contradict what the world gives us. And, 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 and it's not just about things like Jesus resurrecting from the cross. There's a lot of other things that require faith when it seems foolish to think that we'll do anything different. There are obstacles that we've faced as a church specifically that to me, I thought, well, this is not ever going to change. This family system isn't going to change. You're not going to grow. You're not going to do it. And, and, and there's a lot of reasons to kind of stay where you are in that place. You're afraid of people around you. You don't want to make a confrontation. It's difficult. It's hard. And so you take the good from what you can, and then you move forward. But we are changing as a body. We are changing as a church. And it has been painful, you know. But we're ready to turn a corner, you know. And we've written a uh, map that helps us do this. And I want to share just the opening. We can't go through all the goals, and I hope you will before the council meeting in the middle of May. But I want you to see the preamble to our map as it's written. How about we get a volunteer, Sarah? Let's get someone to do this. I know it's a, it's, 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 there's a lot of language here. So whenever somebody wants to stop reading, they can, and then someone else can continue, okay? They're not in different colors, so you have to pay attention a little bit more. Does that make sense? Someone raise your hand on Zoom or in the room here to read until you're tired of reading. Or if you feel very bold, you can read the whole thing, but who wants to do it? Yeah, Megan. Um, after two difficult years and a global pandemic, we are hearing a call to new rest and liberation through Jesus. Our leadership team is helping us to act as a whole body. We are listening to the voices of the marginalized for ways we need to repent, heal, and grow. This is a lifelong posture and journey, shredding the expectations of the dominant culture and our past, and receiving Jesus' part partnering yoke. It will take time to learn and plow, to learn to plow in new ways. Some of these goals will take more than a year and some will become a part of our identity. And we don't want to stop before we realize the fullness of Jesus' leading. We want to stay at the plow, holding the tensions of new learning with Jesus, planting cells of conscious and courageous community that reflect the transformation of Christ. As we ally with our people, church, and organizations laboring for justice, we hope our new posture makes us more hospitable and welcoming to people in our region who are moved by the Spirit to join the movement. So this little preamble gives you an idea for what the map will look like. And it marks a new way for circle. Some of you have already experienced it. Some of you have lived into it. Some of you are here because of this spirit, because there were remnants of it in the past. But now this is a full-throated effort to change and move in a new direction. And it cost a lot to get to this place. We lost people, uh, we lost pastors, a lot of people lost a lot of tears and sweat. Um, we've endured difficulty, 
trauma, abuse. And there could be more of where that comes. But we continue to move in this direction. It is really hard to change as a body. It's hard to change as individuals too. So if the church can do it, there's hope for you too. You have a possibility of changing as well. We have a lot of history in our bodies and in this body that keep us from doing so. There are patterns that we're used to. There are habits that we have. It is difficult to change how things move. And when we do change, people will leave us. It's really difficult. My friend Andre just wrote a book called all the white friends that I lost because he decided to live into his dignity as a black person and that costs something when you want to live your life fully it could cost you relationships and we've suffered that as a body and you might suffer that individually too disrupting homeostatic systems is difficult it causes anxiety there are moments where you change your patterns and things feel a lot different. You know, when I moved out of my parents' house a long time ago, I've been in Philadelphia for longer than I was there, um, which seems like I'm old. But there was definitely I had to change how I related to them to become my own person. And that took a lot of, that took tears, difficulty, psychotherapy, all sorts of things. And now there's, there's, there's a chance for me to be, and for us even, to be someone, something new today. And that will require the same kind of disruption. And there's gonna be moments in you that feel like I can't make this change. When the Israelites left Egypt. They, they, there was a moment when they're stuck in the, in, uh, in they're, they're, they're trying to find the promised land, but they're in the wilderness. They can't find it, and they want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to where they were. There's a temptation to want to do that. There's a temptation to want to regress, especially to keep the peace, especially to make things all right. It is very challenging to do that. And so you even have grace with yourself as you oscillate back and forth between going forward and then moving backwards. It's hard to do it. But I hope that our journey as a church, which was fought very, it was, a, it was a, these agreements that we made in this map were very, very hard won. You know, we're in a season of repentance. So we're looking to repent of our past sins, divest from homophobic, ableist, and racist institutions, considering we want to leave our uh, denomination well and perhaps pursue joining another group. We want to potentially stop sharing money with homophobic institutions. We want to apologize and repent for the ways that we've caused harm. To get us to a place to do that required a lot of energy, a lot of collective confession, a lot of understanding. And then to reimagine what we're doing next, how do we become an anti-oppressive church? Not only are we repentant, how do we actively do something? 
What does it look like to partner with other organizations that are doing similar work? What does it look like to lift this up among us? What does it look like to even change how we do our Sunday meetings, what we say in our cell plan, what we do as a body? Um, what does that look like? Can we be a different place? And I hope it signals to you as well, this church is changing, I can too. All the questions that I had about myself, all the things I thought were inevitable, all the things I thought couldn't change. No, they can change too. And it will disrupt the people in our lives. But they have choices to make too. They can, they, they can change as well. It's everybody, everybody has the opportunity to do so. And you know what? When I left my parents' house and there was that massive disruption, I can say for sure, 18 years later, there's been some restoration between my folks and I. They were able to move through what they needed to as well. And so now we have more of a communion, more of a connection. And so everybody can make a choice. Everyone has an opportunity to do so. There's time. Peace. Let's pray and then do some talk back, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for being here, for being present and faithful to us. Give us the courage to change along with where you're leading. Move us in a direction that encourages us. Give us the courage that we need to disrupt things that we need to, to face the difficulty. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.